Hey, can I say something real quick? Just uh, one more thing I would like to your your all's opinion on, if you don't yes. mind. Um, so we just, you know, recorded for over five hours, all this sort of stuff. I had a thought that after we did the ritual in 411, I was like, I really felt like I had this sense of closure. Uh, I feel like there was like a sort of like, well, we did this thing. It's kind of done. And I was feeling almost like, oh, always record. I did got to do one last one with David. I got to do one last one with Bill. We got to do this whole thing. We did this ritual. I feel like, boom, the energy rose. Like it was like a like an orgasm. And then it's like, boom, well, do I really need to do this anymore? And I wasn't, I was thinking that I probably wouldn't do any more always records. That it felt like a, a sense of closure about it. And then um, some point today, during today's call, I'm just like, you know what, though? Like, I think it's really important that for all the for all the people out there screaming totally crazy fucking theories about what's happening, I feel like we had a pretty fucking rational and well-rounded conversation. That's probably helpful to explore. For maybe it doesn't. Maybe I'm done with it in one sense, but maybe it still has value for people, and should still be a thing. And um, I don't know. I was just. Uh, I was just curious if you guys had any thoughts, opinions, anything at all. I'm totally open to any anything you could say to me. Yeah, I can just say. Mm. I mean, I'm really, uh, you know, release it, do whatever you want. I I'm totally cool with it all. I I mean, I'm honestly here more for my own sanity, frankly, because I'm pretty isolated. I mean, right. I, I love the. Love the content too. This is stuff that I've all I've been really into for a long time. So love talking about it. But you know, if this isn't released, I don't care. I would have the conversation. The point is, I'd have the conversation either way. It's really helped me during my my quarantine or, or whatever, just to have some voices and some shared ideas. And so it's more for a selfish like benefit for my own and for trying to like. You know, I probably take more flack for being this being released than not because people are that crazy conspiracy theorists. But I don't care. I mean, it's I've I've been on record with all this stuff for a long time on Always Record. So, no, oh, yeah, yeah. Deal. Um, and and I, just can I just say I, I want to reiterate what you're saying of like how this is very like so selfish or or it's important to me is that yeah like we didn't talk last week and I was like uh, I didn't I didn't wasn't I wasn't feeling great this week. I was like, I don't want to talk to those guys again. Like, this has been really, it's been a nice touchstone, like, just to get perspective outside these four walls. Absolutely. That's where I'm at with it. It's just, I mean, I just want to hear some familiar voices, man. I mean, I'm in a foreign country that I'm not, I'm kind of, I'm not going to say stranded, but it's just, I don't really have a lot of connections here. So I'm a little bit more isolated than than I think a lot of people are right now. Um, And it's fine. I mean, I'm I'm not, like, going crazy. (laughs) But at the same time, I just it's nice to have familiar voices and have familiar dialogue in a language, in my first language, you know. And I really appreciate it, so. Joe, did you have a thought? Yeah, I mean, I've always found value in it. I mean, I'd, it would definitely leave like a little hole for me that I would need to fill with some other podcast that doesn't exist because nothing has the content like this with the people that I know. So, I mean, it would leave a hole for me, but yeah, I mean... It's a big investment on your part, so I would understand if you stopped. These I mean, always records, especially while I'm, especially while I'm quarantined, are nothing to produce. It's it's I'm, and I, I I've really reduced the production on them. Also, like I'm just like, well, not even putting music on it. Here's the fucking recording. It's not hard to produce. It's more like it's kind of goes back to that like idea of like opening a ritual, closing a ritual. 
is um, I've I had thought for a while. I was like, maybe I'll stop always record at episode two hundred. Maybe I'll whatever, because always record is the sort of thing where like it builds up some steam and then it dies off, and then we don't make anything for a while, and then we make a bunch, and then we make nothing. And you know, I don't know if you're like I like build up like if you're the listener, that's probably pretty annoying. <laughs> you know, like oh okay, they stopped making them again, or I don't know, like um, I don't know. So I was like, maybe this is a good closure. But I also, you know, and then I was like, well, maybe this is a good start. So like, and then like, you know, just if you'd asked me right after our ritual, I was feeling so sort of like totally just jazzed. So literally after our thing, I slept for like a day and a half. And then I woke up totally fucking manic. I'm sure you guys saw how crazy my emails sounded. I was like totally manic, full of energy and just like, holy shit, I'm going to do everything I ever wanted to do. And I, I've been working on this project. So I was supposed to be helping to make a book years ago when I fucking dropped off the face of the earth. And now I'm like, well, he never finished his book. I just picked it up and I spent like every waking hour just like doing all the pre-press and doing all this shit to like have closure. Have fucking closure on this project. Hey, man, you asked me to do this years ago. I said I was going to do this. I want to be a man of my word. Do these things. So um, I felt totally reinvigorated. And then the sync book. That whole that like I don't know you know being uh, the the guy who's holding that torch to get it down the road I want to get it down the road but so it's a really well, easy position to get burned in. I'm kind of going through the same thing with my sync stuff where I've been away for so long that when I try to come back I'm like I'm just not the same person anymore and I wish that I had never done that never stepped away and I don't know maybe it's something to think about that like if you have something that is so easy to produce and not an investment, then maybe it would save you from having to look back in 10 years and being like, I kind of wish I hadn't sort of drifted yeah. away from that, you know, maybe. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm with, I, yeah, that's really a great insight because I, as I said, when I said I returned to doing this for my sanity is because literally like be it, this is so therapeutic and like, and literally like even, turning it into artwork is like that's i realized that i was like oh i have all these crazy thoughts and then to like try and write a script for a video that means i have to sit down and really think what do i think about this topic how do how you know just like it's a way of processing the chaotic thoughts uh it's really really therapeutic and um and just like you though i have i can't do what i used to do man i used to fucking just not sleep and I would like be making podcasts or I'd be writing, I'd be animating, I'd be doing everything all day, every day. And now I'm like, well, you know, I post, I, like I, I, I did this like tiny little thing. That's about as much as I got done today, you know, or like yeah. to write a script. I used to fucking be able to pop out a sync quick news every week. Now it's taking me three months to produce a video, you know, and and this and it's it's probably better for it, like it's more thought out or something. But um, I I like you. It's like I wish I hadn't lost that momentum. Yeah, Let's try and yeah. encourage each other to all fucking keep like just whatever we can do. We'll try and fucking if you want to try and get into like doing shit again, we can. We'll, let's keep doing this. Let's at least if this is easy for everybody all we gotta fucking do is talk i'll do I'll, i would do this you know if you guys get value out of this and yeah yeah i do for sure yeah for sure during the crisis especially even if it's just like always record crisis uh series until you know 
you know, yeah. or whatever. Uh, I mean, uh, and just to say, like, uh, I was mainly uh, with Dennis and, and Alex, and that we just kind of went our separate ways. I don't even, we didn't ever even talk about it. It just kind of fell apart. Same so. thing happened with the, with the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was never uh, a moment where it's like, well, we're not doing this show anymore. It just, like, stopped happening. You know, and and it just got few and far between, and it was fine, and you know. But it's it's good to it's good to hear you guys and just be connected and, and talk, and you know. So I'm down. I mean, I'm 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 definitely down, and it, for the immediate future. I mean, I I, I actually uh, would appreciate it. If we can keep talking at least semi regularly. Agreed. Yeah. Especially yeah, exactly. Especially when I'm not um, I'm out of work and it's like I'm home. Uh, if you know if, if work starts back up, it might get harder, but uh, that's still a ways off. So, but yeah, I, okay, I, thank you. I I, um, I really appreciate telling you guys. Really appreciate having this uh, again, just perspective outside of my own sounding boards and hearing your voice. been kind of a you know quarantine fatigue i guess is what they're calling it i saw on drudge but it's kind of dragging on and just kind of missing a lot of that old world to be <laughs> to be honest so anyhow. yeah i can see everyone's getting stir crazy i'm feeling it myself what's it like uh you're in i guess richmond is it, I, I i know you've said this before yeah yeah and how how is it i mean is it is it um has there been some of like I know that the Virginia um, is it North Carolina I think I saw there was people that were rallying for opening and stuff like is that going on where you are they had that in Virginia too I I saw something about it but I don't um, you know man like it's interesting I don't we we had the longest date range like early on. Um, Right, I was. I we are technically shut down till June tenth. Oh, uh, and that was that was done. I think it was like the very end of March, like the last week of March. They announced that, and they said so. End of March to June tenth, and that's a pretty big window. Um, that has not changed. Um, but. Okay, from like a business perspective, and again, my business is very affected by this, so um, that's a that's a big that's a big perspective. But just say from a business perspective, yes, that's still an intense long time, and that's that's a that's a has big ramifications. From like a social, I don't know, like lockdown perspective, it's been really chill. Um, 
there was like a problem. So we, uh, it would, there's a big river that goes through Richmond. So, you know, people use it kind of like a beach, but it's really long and there are crowded areas and not crowded areas. And there was some thing in the very beginning of, oh, it was nice out and a bunch of people went to the river and everyone freaked out. Like that's not social distancing and whatever, whatever, whatever. But pretty quickly, people, I think, adjusted to like common sense. And so people didn't go where it was congregated. And then the cop and if you but if you did go where it was empty, no cops. Like You see all these like uh, I'm sure you see the stories I see of here's a guy walking alone in the beach and he's getting harassed. It's not like that here. It's like yeah. if you're by yourself, like I have a friend who uh, he's like, oh, I've spent most of my time fishing. And I was like, oh, did you weave town? And he's like, no, I just went to this quiet spot of the river and no one has messed with me. Uh, I have, I don't know how I'd share this with you, but so where I live, I was able to find, I, um, walking, just walking through my neighborhood, walking around, walking around and okay, well this day we'll walk this direction. This day we'll walk this direction. And we went in this other direction. We found this park that I didn't know existed. It's beautiful. And so it was like a park park. And then it branched off into these hiking trails. And it was beautiful, totally isolated situation uh, that I found. And I'm just going to see if I can find. I took a picture because the signs here said park notice. In accordance with Executive Order 55 issued by the Governor of Virginia, this area is closed. And that sign is on a like a picnic, I don't know, like a, a key, you know, there's like picnic tables under like a covered awning. So that's closed. And the playground, I think, had the same sign. And then it says, this area is closed. Please enjoy the trails and open spaces in the park. Maintain appropriate social distance and keep yourself and others safe. And then it lists what the closed areas are. Playgrounds, dog parks, restrooms, shelters, pickleball courts. I have no idea what that is. Tennis courts. I don't think this park has that. So I think this is just probably a generic sign for all of Virginia. And then just as additional information, www.governor.virginia.gov. But that's pretty common sense. Um, and again, you know, so like I, I'm very happy be about that um well, considering what it could have been does, does that make sense yeah just that, that they did leave some stuff that was open and it seems like a reasonable i guess it's not like it's a total crackdown is that is that where you're going with it it just did it you're right just, just to say where, where i like no no local forces have been uh, obnoxious about this i think everyone um you know, in that respect, that's that's not an issue. Now, here's a really interesting thing. So Richmond is obviously it was it used to be capital of the South. Um, this is this is then we'll go to some negative stuff here is that every COVID-19 reported death in the city of Richmond is an African-American. So they're like, hey, what does that say about either? you know, the, the underlying health conditions of, of, uh, just you know, poverty and things like that. Or is this, um, is there something, 
something else going on here. So they have directed all their attention to testing within basically black neighborhoods. Hey, and, and again, it's, it's a still a, a somewhat segregated city. Um, it's, it's a weird, it's definitely a weird city in a lot of ways. Um, and they're like, okay, well, this is where we're going to focus all our attention. And that makes me a little, uh, you know, on one hand, glad that if there's a medical concern there, that that's getting attention. But it all, it also makes me think about like, you know, those like French doctors who are like, we'll test our vaccine in Africa. You know, like, hey, they've had the small, they had the smallest amount of, but like, we'll, we'll, we'll test on these people. Um, there was a small part of me that got like my, some hairs on the back of my neck up of like, well, that's. I could see how that could be a, I don't know, a nefarious thing or whatever, but I uh, hearing, uh, paying attention to how it's being talked about, it's in real. It's surprisingly not being talked about in that way. It's like, hey, clearly, this is affecting one part of the population more than others. This is what we're focusing on. Um, obviously, that can be used to for social control and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's any, anything, anything come up for you for that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, just this idea of like the medicalization of, and where like the medical industrial complex intersects with maybe like the surveillance control complex or the, you know, the, I think there's kind of a nexus of overlap there and I'm certainly not against, you know, medicine on principle, but I do think there's a lot of risks, like when you enter into that system, that 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 there's damage that could be done to you by it, you know. And I mean, that's a whole study for people. But I mean, one thing to note there is like the study that came out. These are like mainstream medical studies and journals like Nature and New England Journal of Medicine. And I think they said something like the third leading cause of death in America is as uh, medical is misdiagnosis by doctors. Uh, hey, Joe, what's up? Um, and so I think that that's where I go with that, is that if that population is being targeted to be brought into that complex, that medical industrial complex, I have fears that, yeah, whether it's testing or just that they will be then be subject to like the, prof the profiteering that comes with that industry, where they'll give you treatment and tests and things that are unnecessary, from, but just for money. You know, and so, yeah, it's a huge, I mean, that's one of my fears, man. I, one of the things I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, and, and we said, if life is like a video game in this COVID world, you lose as soon as you have to stand in one of those lines, like for some kind of medical test, like that means you've lost, you know, it's like, all right, come on in, come on in for the testing, come on in for the kind of the medicalization of your reality. Or they say, hey, that your neighborhood seems to be the... Uh epicenter so we're gonna make sure that we're this is where we're focusing whether that's a patrolling or like again oh the the white people who want to hang out at the river that's fine you can go fishing but the people in this black neighborhood sorry you guys are the ones at risk and you might read it so we got to really lock you down more. you know that's 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 where i th these are the things that just kind of like concerns for me um, uh, so so I was thinking uh, this morning that uh, maybe some white people are like uh, 
wishing for unconfinement because uh, they think, oh, it's only touching the, the black people, so so we don't care like uh, like the young people, the youth uh, in France. You know, when it, when it started, uh, they they knew that they were less touched touched by it, so they were not caring and not uh, respecting the social distancing and stuff like that. So yeah, I was thinking that uh, in some states where the governors are are uh, stopping the confinement, maybe they 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 care less because they 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 saw that it it was touching more the the, the black community. Uh, I doubt it. Uh, all right. I don't Joe, know. what are you seeing? What are you seeing in Israel now? Uh, everything's really opened up. Today was the first day that I think uh, a lot of shops opened and tons of traffic. We've been shut down for longer than everyone in the U.S., so I think people feel like we've got rid of the threat in some way, or that or everyone's just fed up with it. But it's starting to open up this week. Doug, are you with us? Are you just listening? I'm here, but I think I'd have bike wind noise. I'm out on the out in the world on a social distancing bike ride. How dare you, Doug? I know. All right. So then, um, Joe, if you if you don't mind, I want to sort of zero in on that. So, do you if the hey things just open up and everyone rushes sort of back out? Uh, do you see people, I guess I'm going to, I don't know if you can speak to this, but do you, do you, do you get the sense people are being, still being cautious? Like, Oh, they're definitely super cautious. Everyone has masks and a lot of people are still telling you, don't get close to me. And a lot of like the uh, stickers at stores that sh show where you can stand to ensure that you're two meters apart, those are still all in place and they're still following those guidelines. So it's still a ton of caution but maybe a 50% reduction in uh, restriction of movement. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. And SJ, what is, uh, what are you seeing where you are? Um, as far as like, oh, the, oh, those same ideas of like open or not and all that? Yeah, so Batumi's been, it seems like it's been, it's one of the things that I've been, um, I guess, impressed, surprised, almost shocked by is how quickly, like, I, I'll hear a news story in Texas because I'm pretty, or New York City, because I've been keeping in touch with people there pretty closely. And they'll announce a policy, like, for example, mandatory masks hit Austin maybe uh, 10 days ago. They, they adjusted their order to then say masks are now mandatory. And I, I think it was the next day or two days later in Batumi, and this is like 120,000 uh, population town on the western you know western georgia i mean they had that policy implemented you know the next time i had gone out and so there's this kind of um it seems like a global you know um uniform policy implementation with certain countries that are keyed into i guess certain policy to, to certain central nodes and georgia is certainly connected with the united states quite closely um, but yeah just to go back to the question yeah i mean Masks are required. Um, the grocery store I was turned away for the first time. I think this was after the last time I, we had spoken. Um, I walked up without a mask and then they said no. And they told me to get a mask. So I went to buy one 
in the pharmacy, they had masks. And uh, so I had to use that to enter the grocery store. Um, they were also, there was a line. This was like, this is the biggest grocery store in, in, in central Batumi, but there was a line and then they let like a few of us in at a time. Uh, today, uh, I went out and it's beautiful day and there's a big boardwalk here that's kind of the center of the activity and it was packed with people. Um, a lot of people had masks, um, some didn't, a lot didn't. Um, and it seemed like there's just that energy of summer emerging, you know, with, with, with the sun coming out. Uh, this town is, very, is like a sea town, so I think people are just kind of jonesing for that experience. And I went to the grocery store and they were just, just still the same sanitation, it smelled like cleaner. Um, they didn't want me to touch some of the products, they touched them for me. So I think those like social distancing policies in the grocery stores are still in place. One last thing is that like the other stores aren't open yet. Like I want to go buy a pair of shoes, all of those stores are shut. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear Israel's opening up some of those other stores because maybe Batumi will be soon to follow. Uh, maybe hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But. And Jordan, borders, I, I, oh, sorry, I'm so just sorry. To say, borders are still, are still closed. That's the other thing I'm looking keenly at is when can I get a bus to, I'm thinking about Istanbul or into Europe and all, none of that's available yet. So. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's going to be the sort of lasting thing here, right? It's like, what, what did this do? What, what, <laughs> what did this do long term? Even if the, if the shops reopen and we quote unquote reopen, but everyone is now queerly defined within their borders, it's a scary sort of notion from a geopolitical standpoint uh, and, and a personal liberty standpoint. But uh, yeah, you know. Again, like here in here in America, Trump wanted to shut the border down. Everyone's like, "No, no way!" And then everyone's like, "Come on, do it!" And now that that's happening now, <laughs> you know, and get, getting that stamp of approval from the left. So it's it's I don't know. That's really interesting. Uh, I I just want to grab Jordan. I know you don't have long. I'd really like to hear from you. Um, what are you seeing in New York? Yo. Um... Yeah, I can't stay for too long today, but I uh, can definitely give a quick update. Um, New York, uh, you know, we've definitely we've got the uh, lines to get into the supermarket and all that here as well. Um, that's been in place for a couple of weeks. Um, I just went grocery shopping today, actually, and the the mood seemed better. I, I think in New York, there's a sense of uh, we're sort of nearing the light at the end of the tunnel, maybe. The uh, the so-called RT, right, the rate of transmission is below one. I think it's 10 to 8 or something now. So uh, that's pretty good. And they just, uh, uh, I think Cuomo just outlined like the multi-phase reopening plan. I haven't I haven't caught up on that yet. That was just a couple hours ago, I think. Uh other than that, you know, I haven't really, uh, I've just been kind of in my room. So um, uh, I took an Uber somewhere a, a few days ago and uh, there was like, you know, there was like a plastic isolating, uh, like, a, like a wall of plastic, <laughs> like see-through plastic basically isolating me from the, uh, from the driver he coughed very slightly at one point and then like very profusely apologized to me about it, you know, 
So there's there's a mixture of still a lot of tension and strangeness, but then I think a, a bit of a bit of hope maybe uh, finally that we're yeah approaching some kind of a return to normalcy at some point in the future. Although I think really that you know the 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 full blown pause effect is still in place until at least the fifteenth of May, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for my um, gotcha. Yeah, uh, I, I think it was interesting. On, I'm pretty sure it was Easter Monday that Cuomo announced. I have, I have this. I have all the screenshots and stuff that basically announced the the worst is over. He says the curve has been flattened. He says it's flat. It's a very high flat. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's but you know whatever. Um, and now here we are another. What is this week or two out from that? Um, I guess it's two weeks out from that. So yeah, so that's good to know that that's sort of continuing. Um, it's really been two weeks since that. <laughs> I have no sense of like. I, I, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, God, that's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, because our uh, the thing we did was April 11th, and that was Easter weekend, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Fucking a. It worked. Yeah. Well. Okay. So, can we talk about that? Like, I'll I'll be real. Like, there was a part of me that felt like you know this sort of release, and then hearing as as convoluted as this is all going to be you know okay i mean there's multiple conversations i want to have with you guys one being did it work and we don't have to really address that like literally but again the questions of like well if things if that seemed to be the point at which things leveled out there's a whole slew of like maybe SJ. There's the sort of more cons. I don't mean to like paint you as a conspiracy theorist. I don't mean it like that, but to say like, I don't know what the language to use to say were you know if the numbers weren't as high or this was over quicker or you know if you wanted to address any of that. Um, or again, just like the sort of like, hey, the, the the main thread is gone. What are the lasting implications? What do we still need to do? Or maybe someone like Doug, you know, it's like, are we, is anyone concerned? There's this, uh, obviously there's a thing of like, hey, okay, so we all spend a month indoors. Then it's summertime and it's nice and we reopen everything and everyone rushes out. Is that when everyone gets sick? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, all those conversations. I'd just be very curious to get a sense of where anyone's heads are at. I could certainly jump in, and I don't mind that at all. I mean, I I, I basically have self-identified with that label. I don't really like that label, but um, I don't mind being. I mean, I definitely have a conspiratorial mindset and worldview, and have had one for most of my life, so it's it's fine. Um, yeah, I, you know, one thing I just wanted to say is like sometimes these types of rituals can take time, 
you know, and so I think that they're, uh, you know, like lasting kind of sync reverberations are some things that I certainly am, am keeping an eye out for. Um, nothing has quite like jumped out at me yet, but like themes on Asclepius or uh, Ophiochus or even like the Jesus sort of underworld war. I mean, these are quite general symbols, so I'm sure there's a lot there if we were to dig deep in like the news stories, for example. I will say one thing that's that's I've seen is like a lot of uh, doctors have been prominent in the media, and I feel like they've been increasingly like speaking out. And I saw like even in the last two days, like there's of course the really fringe doctors who have been saying counter narrative ideas from the get go. People like Dr. Kaufman. There's this guy, Dr. Butar, Butir. Um, all the German and French and all those doctors, you can find a bunch of kind of outlier heretical doctors. But even like in their last few days, I have seen um, just like some ER doctors, there's a video that emerged, these guys in California, and they held a press conference. It was covered with um, by their local news uh, in Bakersfield, California. And they just said, here's our press conference. And they're basically saying, we don't agree with the WHO narrative. They're, they're, um, their take is that the shutdown was necessary because of the unknown feature of, a, of the novel nature of the virus. But once the data has um, come in and it's clear that they're saying it's basically flu-like in terms of the death numbers, that they think the proper response is to open back up. So, I mean, just the idea of, a do of doctors entering the public discourse and kind of a leadership role, I think that's very Asclepian. Um, those are sort of a few thoughts there, Alan. I mean, I've, I can go on and on and on about all of the different things I think and stuff like that. But just in terms of like the ritual, my, my main my main thing is just give it some time, you know. And the fact that the curve is flattened, Drudge now says opening up, things are reemerging, at least in the short term. I think there's some hope there, you know. Um, is there anyone like Guillaume? I'd love to hear your your take on the numbers, like. You know, I, I feel like this question of, as to just use the phrase flu like, I mean, I literally every day I can find six media sources to say this thing is flu like. And then I can find six media sources to say why that's so um, detrimental to even suggest, right? Um, do do we know like how to do that math? Does that, does does anyone feel like confident in the numbers they're seeing, or is, is there still question marks hanging over this for most of you? Or oh, you you mean uh, if uh, we declare people uh, that died from it, but instead, uh, but but it was not from it, so the numbers or any are any the anything like that? Yeah, just like I, I feel like. Did you feel that you're? Uh, I, I yeah, just like. G do you feel comfortable in the numbers you're seeing that you that you're making sense of making sense of numbers? What I can tell is uh, that some people around me uh, have got it, and it seemed to be a little bit more than uh, uh, the past few years uh, when uh, people had the, the flu. You know, I could know a few people that had the flu, but here, you know, you see that. Uh, the father got it, then it's the mother and all the uh, the the child in the uh, in the flat, you know. So we can say that it spreads uh, faster than the flu. 
much more, you know. And uh, all those people had uh, severe fever, but that that's like like uh, I agree. Uh, then I I can't be sure about what uh, hospitals are saying. I know that the recommendation is any anybody that feels sick uh, nowadays is considered to be uh, COVID. You know, because we are supposed to have passed the all the season uh, seasonal. Uh, illness you know so so that's the but 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 i i don't think it's to grow the numbers you know i'm not i'm not sure about that to make them bigger uh but if we stand just by the numbers you know i was checking for us uh the flu between uh, two, uh 2018 and 2019 made a uh, 34 death and uh, you are at more than uh, fifty or over 60, fifty. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And in in much more quicker also. Mm, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Again, right? If 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 those are, I, I hate yeah, to, yeah, sure, sure. I, I hate to say, <laughs> I, I hate to put that disclaimer on it, but to say exactly, yeah. If if those numbers are accurate, then it is definitely more. more okay. So but we we can agree we we can agree on on something you know is that uh, the hospitals have been uh, uh, full and uh, in need of uh, materials that's that's for sure you know uh, there there's no doubt about that and uh, the flu has never done that so in Paris Guillaume in Paris or or where oh, uh, I live in Lyon but uh, it was uh, all over the France and in in some part of France more than uh, others you know but they they the army has uh, moved uh, some uh, people from a hospital to an another place of uh, France because they, they they didn't have any more uh, beds uh, they they've uh, they've built uh, 10,000 um, breeders uh respir respiratory uh, you know uh, stuff you know to to breathe uh so no that that's for sure you know uh they were they were full of uh people with this illness i call it covid or whatever you know and it was unregular and uh it's been crazy so now it's we we are uh on the decline a little bit but uh, I'm pretty sure that there will be a, a second wave. So I just want to jump back in here, Alan, on the numbers, because I mean, that the, if the conversation is about like my opinion on the numbers and different ideas on the numbers, I, th I think there's some other just key things I wanted to throw in is that um, the one big item that came out over the last two, I think week really was this USC study that was released. And apparently the doctors at USC uh, are claiming that they think it's there's 55 times more asymptomatic carriers between 35 and 55 times more based on, I guess, their random study of a segment of the population. That was their conclusion. And so they're saying that um, if ever way more people already have this than have tested positive, it's and it's and it's basically percolated through the system and into these asymptomatic carriers and so the death rates come way down if if that's true um so you know that's one of the studies people are saying well this is flu-like it's for like for this this is the logic behind that characterization that way more people have it um yeah and then the other 
the other thing I'll just say is that I think in like these Bakersfield emergency room doctors are saying, I think New York, basically the idea here is New York is anomalous, that if you take out New York from the numbers, everything it changes quite a bit in terms of the death rates and the severity rates. Um, I think a large number of those 60,000 deaths or whatever, whatever it's at now are in New York City. And they were asked about it, and these doctors were like, it makes sense if everybody's jammed in like sardines in New York, it's an international city, et cetera. I think there's a question, I mean, so that's without even going into the question of are the numbers true, how do we get those numbers? Um, the deaths for, it's not just flu you have to look at, you have to look at flu, pneumonia, really all types of deaths that happen um, are apparently way down and then COVID deaths are up. And so is that excess death number is kind of the key number. Um, and I'm not gonna make a determination, I mean, a judgment about it. I'd really like to study it more and present papers and stuff like that. But my sense is that it's not quite that, even if it's a little bit more, uh, it's not like shockingly more that where, we, where I think we have to be afraid, you know, especially for people that uh, don't have a comorbidity the odds of you dying from this are apparently infinitesimal, so small that it's statistically just not even important. Um, now, if you have a comorbidity, yeah, it could be potentially serious. But for most people, they're saying it's just like a cold. I think this is official story. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is this is conspiratorial thinking, but um, so. Uh Yes, so I would agree. Maybe uh, the death rate is uh, way lower because uh, there are all those uh, asymptomatic uh, cases, you know. But uh, I, I think it's spreading way faster, you know. And uh, and uh, you know, one of the the things that people are, have told me about the people that that, that got it, you know, that they were losing all the um, the taste and smell. So uh, the recent studies said that it was not at really attacking the lungs, but more the, the blood. It's, it's more uh, infection of the blood and then the blood uh, that goes to the lungs. And that's why uh, people have problem uh, with it. So just just want to say it's, it's, it seems to be a bit different from, uh, from the flu. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, the, the, the death rate is way lower than what is said here, of, of, of course. Yeah, I've heard that too, Guillaume, and I've also heard that these doctors, a couple have come out, um, one in New York City, and he said, listen, this is not like a respiratory illness like the flu, just what you said. It affects the blood's ability to deliver oxygen. Yes. And, and he was saying that the ventilators are actually killing people because once you go on a ventilator, your odds of living are, it's like, oh, I think 50, 60% or something really large die after they Get put on a ventilator. The yes. ventilator does all kinds of stuff. I heard eighty. It was as high as eighty percent. Yeah, maybe eighty percent. So this doctor was saying, I heard eighty too. I've heard. I didn't want to quote that high, but yeah, um, this doctor saying like this is not the kind of disorder where you even would need a respirator, and doing that might be actually killing some of the people they're trying to save. So that's an added wrinkle into this. Is is there a death? Um, rate that's even increased because of the treatments, some of the faulty treatments, you know. And um, something aside, have you heard about uh, the fact that nicotine uh, might be uh, might be preventing it? 
so the smokers might be less uh, less subject to it. Have you heard about that? I did, and I almost came off of my like ten years <laughs> smoke smoke free lifestyle. Like I thought about maybe going to get a pack of cigarettes, but I decided exactly to same. <laughs> I I've stopped uh, like three months ago. <laughs> I was like, Fuck. <laughs> wait, they're saying smokers are less likely to get it. Uh, they, they are saying they are less likely to get it, but if they get it, they, they, it it would be worse for them because they are oh, sure. obviously smoking, you know. But but it's not the smoke; it's the nicotine. So are they are already testing patches on people, uh, uh, normal people, not not smoking people that got got it, you know. And they are testing these patches of nicotine to see if uh, if it can help. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Um. Um, so, okay, I think probably of the folks on this call, I'm assuming that probably, just going to say this as as I think it, probably the most, like, um, main, main, you know, again, if if SJ is the one to take the sort of more um, conspiratorial perspective, I feel like, Guillaume, you are very grounded and try and really look at those, you know, look at this from like a Occam's razor sort of perspective and keep it straight. Uh, Doug, I would say is very similar in that sense, but uh, I, I'm curious when I'm talking about these numbers and stuff like that, I still see people saying it is, you know, quote, like irresponsible to compare it to flu. And, and you, you make absolutely the, the point of saying like, if these numbers are right, that's in a very short amount of time it has clearly killed a lot more people. Uh, SJ made the point of saying, like, yeah, but then we, we did, we're not counting for pneumonia deaths and all these things, oh, all the deaths and, and all the complications that everyone has. If I, I, may, guess, if I, if I may yeah, have please, something please. also, the, the, the flu is uh, disappearing with, uh, with the hotness so when, when, when uh, it's uh, becoming warmer, you know, and it's not the case with, the, with this virus also, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not, it's not in the same season, the winter, same. Uh... Yeah. yeah. Or I, I heard early on they were saying, in the future, we could have COVID as a seasonal illness or something. Uh, it could have its own season, obviously. Uh, I, I guess I'm just curious. Um, do probably uh, sort of across the board, though, what we I, I feel like what we can say is that this is it's not what everyone was afraid that it was. Do, do we all, are we all like I, again? I basically, I'm asking you guys these questions I to try and make sense of what that, I'm seeing. Alan, yeah, please, okay. please. Yeah, I would love some outside perspective because, like I said, I'm well, trying. I'm literally trying to make sense of this myself. So either the people who made the predictions like really over overstretched their statements, or else the measures that we took were very effective or somewhere in the middle, maybe, you know? So like, I think you and I I had a conversation about a week ago about the worst week, the the worst week, this is going to be the worst week. And it really, I mean, it was bad, but it was not as bad as they were making it out to be. And so the question is, were they making it out so bad that people would behave in a certain way so that we would bring this, you know, the mm-hmm. R the R not number below one, like Jordan was saying, um, 
if that's true, then that if if things do reopen, then the, the only thing that's changed is our behavior and that it will rebloom. So, I mean, that will be the real curious thing. And then the way the United States is opening, it seems like it's it's really patchwork where some places are going really fast. I think the mayor of Las Vegas said, let us be the guinea pigs. You know, we want to open the casino so bad. Um, like, we will be able to tell and adjust our behaviors accordingly, I think. I don't know that I'm inclined to rush out and go to a restaurant or a concert right off the bat. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, I mean. And, and to me, it's, it's not finished <laughs> also, you know. So we, we, we can't know if, it, if they were saying... Uh, shouting too much about it and making too too restrictive uh, obligations you know because we, we we still don't know when it's gonna, it's gonna end if there are second waves and stuff like that mutation and you know whatever unless like what uh sj was mentioning that um because you know what you were saying sj is that uh so many people were asymptomatic carriers and spreading it, that it's possible that we've all had it asymptomatically and then have the immunity to it. And so perhaps, it, um, you know, there won't be a second bloom because everyone for a larger population has immunity to it that doesn't know it. But I kind of think I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of that. Like I know since I'm out in the world still going to work every day, Anytime I feel a tickle in my throat or something, I'm wondering, is this it? Do I have it? But I kind of, the whole time, I've just wanted to believe that if I get it, I'll really know. Because, I, I mean, so a lot of the people I worked with said, you remember when I was feeling poor a week ago? I'm pretty sure I had it. And so I guess unless we got immunity tests or whatnot, we won't really know. Right. And also another thing I wanted to add uh, is that uh, they are still un unsure about the fact that when you've had it, you know, you can't uh, rehave it, you know. So the immunity, we're, they are still not sure that the Im immunity is uh, lasting, you know. So that's an yeah. another fact. And the question of like viral load, like maybe you got exposed yeah. very, yeah, um, to to an basically a load of the virus that you were able to fight off, but if you were suddenly exposed to more of it, you couldn't. And um, at first, they were, they were saying that uh, maybe a few millions of French uh, had it, and uh, most of them asymptomatics. And, all, and recently, they, they said that, in fact, and I don't know how they judged that, uh, there were um, way less people that than had it, you know, like six percent of the the French population, not enough uh, to to build the global immunity, uh, herd herd immunity. So I don't know how they they judge that because we didn't have any, any test, obviously, and we are all, all uh, asking for them, you know. But uh, we'll see. I just want to come out, come in here, and just kind of take this. <laughs> Maybe a, a different, I mean, I mean, obviously speaking to the question, but a little bit of a different way to look at it. I mean, to me, there's a threshold, a threshold issue here that I still haven't been able to cross this threshold into kind of the, 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 the mindset that I think you guys are in right now. And I'm not saying 
that you're fixed in that mindset, but just like this conversation that there even is an it. I'm still not convinced that there's an it that is substantially different than any other year. Um, and just you can just hold on with me here. I know that might sound crazy to some people, but you know the notion and some of these doctors, these virologists and doctors and researchers are saying basically that you know um, coronaviruses are seem to be kind of a fundamental like um, chassis. I'm going to use that analogy like a car has a chassis and you could build different models on the same chassis, right? Uh, but the, the coronavirus is a, is a general name for a certain kind of structure, a, vir a virus. And then there's different versions of it that have little, you know, they're tweaked differently. And every year there's hundreds and hundreds of these coronaviruses, right? Um, and so for me, and let me just tell this kind of narrative, because for me, this was quite freeing. And I felt I used to when I when this first came out and I fled China, I was like, shit, do I have it? And everything was like, it's every little symptom. Is this it? This is it. And then once I kind of realized this, this idea that there may not even be an, an it, it just, I felt so free. But the idea here is that what the tests are testing for is just this kind of um, general chassis of coronavirus that's, that's in your system. It's always in your system. It's really part of being a human being. Viruses are just part of our human makeup. And, you know, they might be, uh, you know, exist whatever they're testing for might exist in a greater capacity if you're exposed to something because these viruses might be helping fight that off i mean there's all kinds of theories the point is is that um you know that the covid 19 narrative and this is kind of when you were asking your original question alan you were saying you know we can we all agree that what we're being told might not be a real real basically that there's something else happening that's different than what the narrative is um, but yeah, this idea would be just that we always have these viruses. Most people are going to test positive for them at some point during the year. Every year we get colds. Every year we get flus to some level or another. So this is normal. There's nothing different than normal. The narrative that's being pushed is something that I believe, if I had to bet, is a creation of the media. There's an agenda behind it. And so that once you put the hat on of I want to see this, then you can filter reality to support that agenda. And I think there's a strong case for that being made. The last thing I'll say before I kick it back here, this WHO tweet that just came out two days ago, where the WHO said, um, hey, hold on, guys, hold on. I don't, I don't want you to start talking about antibodies because those aren't going to be lasting, you know, because their agenda, they're basically a vaccine company. The Gates Foundation is the second largest funder of the WHO. Their agenda with this whole thing is, the vaccine is has to um, be necessary. And so if you start talking antibodies, then you don't need a vaccine, right? You have this herd immunity. And and there was other doctors like these like really um, well known doctors on Twitter responding to the Gates Foundation's tweet saying, well, listen, if the if you can't get antibodies that work, meaning that you can get reaffected, then the vaccine will never work. Right. Because that's what the vaccine is supposed to do is give you the disease so you develop antibodies. But if that doesn't work, then there's no possibility for the vaccine to work. And the WHO then deleted that tweet. And so I think there's a just a lot mm -hmm. of muddling, a muddled, muddying of the waters here. And mm -hmm. I'm looking for the narrative writers. This is what I think is almost guaranteed with this situation. The vaccine will be necessary and it's going to until we're largely vaccinated. We can't, you know, the Bill Gates thing that's coming. All right. I'll be very surprised if that doesn't come. But so 
that's how I'm kind of looking at this now is the narrative. What are the interests in the narrative? What are they saying is true for their interests? So anyhow, I'm open to any reality, okay? But that's one that I think is worth considering as we talk about this. So can I, um, I'm just, Doug, I'm sorry I said this to you last week, but I just like, this is the, just kind of just to rewind from the vaccine conversation, because I, and I do want to go there, but just to rewind, the reason I asked about the numbers was everyone is saying now, like, oh, well, we were saying if we didn't act, if we didn't act, it would be as bad as X, Y, Z. And the, we did act, and therefore, because we acted, of course, the numbers aren't as bad as that. However, going back to Esther, your point of a narrative, and I, please, I hope anyone here understands this is not a, a defense of Trump or, or anything like that, or, or any politician, any anything. But I just want to say, that just going to the narrative, what we were told was that, hey, these are the numbers, if we don't act, these numbers, we do act. But the one thing that everyone seemed to agree on was that the U.S. acted too little, too late. And I heard that in my face. Oh, we really fucking, we, 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 we fucked up. Every, you know, everything we could, it was this, this, this comedy of errors of everything we could have done. Oh, we had all these kids go to the beach. Oh, we had, um, you know, Trump didn't close the borders or whatever, whatever the thing was that day of what could have been done. The narrative was, holy shit, we, we really let, we let this in. It's too little too late. It's going to be devastating. And that thing that I felt like was pushed on me, like, and, and, and I mean that in the sense of like, it made me nervous, right? Like, oh, fuck. Like, I, like, okay, I guess we really didn't, but, but you know, okay. To now see that that is backpedaled to, uh, well, of course it's not as bad because we took these precautions. That, that I'm having a really hard time rectifying those two different things that have been said to me. And I, I just want to know if anyone would address that because I would, again, love to hear either side, anything like that. I just like, that's where I keep coming back to. It's like, but we were told this was a worst case scenario. Quickly, I can jump in. I just want to say to address that directly, Alan, these two ER doctors out of Bakersfield, he gave a presentation and he compared um, different countries that did lock down and then the countries that didn't. And he was his conclusion was it didn't matter if you locked down or you didn't, that it was largely the same. So he's claiming that that the lockdowns actually didn't have a, uh, this effect that they're claiming when you compare to these kind of substantially similar countries. So that's something that, you know, maybe those numbers are bad. One of the journalists said, well, the, the, the country that locked down Sweden is measuring things differently than the country that, or sorry, the country that didn't lock down Sweden is measuring things differently than the country that did its neighbor, Norway. So you can't really compare them because of the measurement issues. But he basically said Sweden and Norway, one locked down, one didn't, basically, and they're the same. So, and I think in, in America, there's a bunch of states in the middle of the country, Oklahoma, a bunch right in that middle belt that didn't lock down like the, uh, some of the other states. And apparently they're not that much different, if at all. 
that also speaks to population density and stuff, right? Like, yeah, that that would be an issue. But I mean, even in like a major city, like I don't know, Oklahoma City, if you take New York out, you have to kind of take that out because it's such a unique place. But I think most of the other places might be at least in the cities, like Kansas City. I, I don't have it right in front of me. What states? I haven't really done it, but. I'm just putting this general claim out there because it speaks directly to the comparison issue that you're raising. And it's some, something that obviously would have to be researched, you know, further. So, oh, Guillaume, so, you, yeah, please, I want you to just, yeah, because I see you're typing here. Yeah, so what we were being told is is that uh, it was supposed to, not supposed to, to stop anything, they, they were saying it, but, but to slow the rate and to ease uh, the hospitals, you know. So that was the goal of it. But on the other end, you know, there, there's been a, a horrible situation here where we are waiting for masks for <laughs> since the beginning of the confinement, you know, and it's so weird that we can't have any masks as being uh, a big country, you know, and uh, same for the tests. And uh, are there, there are other places like South Korea, you know, that uh, went for uh, mass testing and uh, masks for for everybody and uh, just confining the, the people that were uh, uh, testing positive, you know, and they, they didn't didn't needed uh, any confinement or mass confinement uh, like we had, you know, and they, they have a much, much lower death rate, you know. So I agree in a way, in a way that we could, maybe maybe it, it has been decided not to 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 go this way, you know, to to test this uh, global policy on uh, confining people and uh, ruling them and passing uh, laws uh, that were uh, would uh, uh, stop uh, many liberties and track people and and all the, the those those kind of laws you know uh, just to summarize yeah. i just posted posted an article here and that article actually talks about france guillaume it's really it's really interesting because we're on this call right now and it says france has a death rate of 22 uh 229 yeah. per 1 million people and that's three times greater than that of the United States. But then California only has a death rate of two per 100,000 people. And Nebraska didn't lock down and they have a death rate of one. So, I mean, it seems like even in states like California that went on a statewide lockdown, um, it's quite lower. And I don't know what would explain that. I mean, that's quite curious just to see those stats. Okay, it's got to be testing. It. It's got to be a testing. Like when I see this, it's got to be that there's this anomalies in testing. And I think it's worth just putting that in the conversation right here because it's really hard to compare stats when we don't even know if the tests work. We don't know what they test for and we don't know how widespread the testing is from one location to the next or if the tests are different or who gets the tests or, you know what's considered a COVID-19 death or not. Yeah, but we, we can agree that uh, the countries that uh, did mass testing, like uh, Germany, just uh, our neighbors, you know, uh, have a much lower death, death rate. That's a fact, you know.
Okay, yeah, so I, yeah, and that's and that makes sense. The more you test, and that's what the USC study just said that that they their conclusion was that there's way more people that are asymptomatic and have the test and have it, therefore the death right. rate is a lot lower. So. so, Guillaume, how does that jive with you? Had made up, um, you mentioned something almost to the opposite of that. Of that, in France, you heard that they thought they. The numbers were, were the the asymptomatic numbers were smaller than originally projected. Did I not yeah, hear that, you say that? that? That's what the president Leslie said in a, when you know we are supposed to stop the confinement or begin to stop the confinement uh, the eleventh of May. And last time when when he talked about it, he said uh, we are much less. Uh, People, uh, we we are much less uh, to have had it than uh, previously thought. But by uh, the the doctors' uh, speculations, you know, because uh, nobody has been testing. Uh, they, they didn't test everybody, but but they said that uh, yeah, it was it was much lower than what they previously thought. So so I, I don't know on what they based that, but uh, I I guess we'll see. You know, I'm 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 sure it will be much more clear when. When uh, the unconfinement is gonna be is gonna begin, and if there's a second wave or or no, and there's a second wave. It, it means that the confinement was. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting. So Doug, you put in here, and I exactly this idea. This is and and this would still be a, for lack of a term, a conspiracy. This would be a fucking cover up of oh what if the numbers what if the numbers of the people who died actually are higher but we're don't want to say that like and you know again this is like uh basic a prop this was what Zanor was saying was happening in japan they didn't want to lose the olympics so they kept saying oh it's really in a, it really isn't a problem this really isn't a problem like, we're fine. yeah i mean yeah, yeah. also yeah right and it makes sense here we are we shut down and then suddenly all these businesses are like oh Holy fuck! We we need these. We want our workers. How, how dare you take our workers away? And we, who are we going to exploit today? So uh, you got to fucking you got to you know just f fudge the numbers. What, same. Oh, sorry. Uh, just yeah. uh, I wanted to say just that that at first you know it was like uh, we we have to stop everything and uh, preserve lives uh, as as much as we can. And now um, Macron is like. Uh, he thought about the economy and uh, he's going for herd uh, immunity and saying, oh, the events of May, we can reopen the school, you know, but it's, it's totally useless, you know, to have one month of school, you know, and it's only the child, you know. The the schools that we uh, closed, the first, the first thing we closed because uh, child are supposed to be asymptomatic and so much more dangerous, you know, to detect and to spread the, the virus, you know, and that's the first thing that you want to to reopen, you know, on the 11th of May. So it's it's really and like even if even if death, even if COVID deaths are rare or or essentially not a concern in younger people, it's still you don't gamble with children's health. Yeah, right. Right. You know, that's that's insanity. And that Zanora said the same thing. So they had the uh, in Japan, they had the schools closed, but they wanted the, the new school year was starting and they're like, oh, we could still like do it from home or whatever. But they wanted all the kids to come in for one day 
to like meet their teachers and meet their classmates and all this sort of stuff and then go back home to Uh study from home. Is that not the stupidest fucking thing? That's weird. Right? Like come in, all get exposed to each other and then go back to your fucking houses. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's like, uh, you know, we we had uh, at the very beginning of the confinement, we had the vote for the mayor in France, you know, and uh, they said, uh, oh, you, you all have to stay at home, but only for the, the vote you can, you can go out, you know, just just this one time. <laughs> and so uh, it's been said that uh, the, this, this vote uh, spread the virus uh, a lot, you know, if, if it's real. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Dennis, if I just saw your message, if you're listening in the car with your kids, I'm sorry, I cursed. Apologies. <laughs> but I want to say I want to save the children. <laughs> so um, Alan, just to, just to give yeah. a counter argument for this narrative that there's actually more deaths. The one They've thing heard I me curse be hurt before, but uh, I'll be on mute. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dennis, what's up? What just one thing, you know. I think that as soon as I mean, this is a there's a war right now, an information war over the numbers, right? There's and it's politicized, just what you said earlier. I mean, both sides are using the numbers to make their case. You can find ten articles, you know, one way, ten articles the other way. So my read is just that, you know, as it got quite popular. Um, online and just in the discourse that the COVID deaths are way exaggerated because you had a a series of stories where doctors were saying, listen, I would just receive something from the CDC or the FDA or whoever. And they told me I have to put it to COVID death. If even if I haven't, the, you haven't tested positive, if I think it could be, might be yours, then I'll put it to COVID death. And that's my paraphrase. I'm sure the language is, different but basically there was this real sense of okay there's way more covid deaths they're overcoding the deaths as covid i didn't see this this other narrative pop up until after that maybe maybe it was before i don't know but my my read is that this is kind of in response it's like all right it's like the trump strategy you just say the exact opposite and exaggerate it 10 times the other way as a way just to have that debate you know and so they're saying well no the deaths are exaggerated the wrong way they're actually like triple more COVID deaths because of things when you read these articles they say things like people are dying at home and then they're never going to get tested so let's just say that's 10,000 more COVID deaths my counter argument back to that is just that um, yeah people are dying at home but because they've been told not to go to the hospitals and they've been told like these heart surgeons are coming out and saying we can't even see patients that are having like heart problems like a heart attack or other heart crises they're not going to get the stents and the things that would keep them alive because that's all been shut down and so you have these surgeon deaths that of course people at home because they can't go get the care they otherwise would have because of the lockdowns so anyway, I've, also just, re- I've also read in that in that same vein of because the warning was only go if it's really serious, right? So the idea is like, hey, you might feel sick, but stay the yeah. fuck home because we don't, you know, we don't, we don't want to overload. So we only go when it's really serious. And I have read reports exactly like you're saying of someone maybe with an underlying health condition who doesn't even get coronavirus, but maybe totally. they, they were waiting. They're like, oh, I'm feeling some chest pain. Hello? Yeah, waiting too much and... 
and dying at home instead of going to hospital because they they thought uh, they 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 shouldn't uh, call. Pretty precisely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then these articles are saying we should count those as COVID deaths just because the COVID virus, the specter of the virus is everywhere. So everything is a COVID death, even these. That's my read. That's, and, so, and I'm not saying it's true or not, but that's just my counter argument back. Who knows so it's I, true? I just want to ask. So if uh, we assume that they are um, making the, the death uh, bigger numbers, you know, uh, what would be the goal? Uh, for you, it's uh, for the vaccination of uh, vaccines for everybody. No, no, no. So that's just one part of it. And I wasn't really trying to get into like vax, vax good, vax bad debates. But I mean, that's clearly part of the agenda. That's I just brought it up because it's the agenda that's coalesced around that. But no, I think it's a really um, it's kind but of a when more you say agenda, uh, we hear there's an agent. There's the thing. So that's what I always hear that that in the in the negative space of the statement there is an agent acting upon this agenda that they have and so that's the that's my stumbling block always is that i don't know who is manipulating the new york times or who's actually controlling you know these two sides that you mentioned so so who is the agent with the agenda so in this case this argument would say it's the who and Bill Gates and the and the trillions of dollars that that those two actors represent, and all the interests that that have coalesced around those actors, and that's what I was mentioning earlier. I mean, it's really you've seen Bill Gates will come out, he'll say this is what we have to do, and Fauci received a bunch of money from the Gates Foundation for all of the organizations he's involved with. Doctor Burks is on the payroll to get. You can just go find these people out there. I think there's a pretty kind of non-undisputed connection financially between the Gates Foundation, Fauci, and Burks. Um, but so, so that those would be right, and no one disputes that. that. I think the people who think they're good guys, they're like, yeah, these are the guys who are working together to save save the world, right? Yeah, but just to trace this dis- question of the it's not that, that they work together. Yeah, but so the idea is, if you want to identify an agent, that's who you would identify that WHO and the nexus of people and money around that group. Okay. seems to be driving policy, but just to, I, I want to come back. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I would love to explore that. I mean, I think that's always worth exploring. Who are the players? Who has the power? Who has the influence? You know, the New York times. I mean, we can go outside of the pandemic issue and just bring in the question as let's just look at the New York Times. Let's just look at their coverage on something like the war in Iraq or the wars in Libya and ask, why don't they cover all of these other discourses that are critical of the system? Why do they exclude those discourses and explore why? Who funds them? Why are they, you know, and that's a, I mean, I'd love to do that. I think that's worth considering, but I don't think anybody would I mean, I think everybody on this call would be agree that they have an interest and they have people that um, influence their voice. They're, the discourse that they're allowed to participate in is limited and it usually lines up with, for example, the Pentagon or the military industrial complex. I mean, do you, would you dispute that, Doug? No, I would. So no matter what organization you're in, there's going to be people with larger influence who think that they have a, a good idea of how one or how the organization should respond to something. And in those actions, you could detect an agenda 
whether or not it's just protecting their own interests or if they do have like a, an opinion or a belief set that they're putting into action. So like, uh, uh, um, I'm trying to think of like a metaphorical sink body, you know, like, um, Yeah, I mean, I I agree that um, it doesn't matter what body there is, it's going to behave in a way that appears to have self-interested actions, which people will interpret as an agenda. But, it, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, I mean, do you think the word agenda might even just fit there? I mean, loosely, I mean, that there could be an agenda in that organization that because they're acting in this, what you're but calling the self But the larger an way. organization gets, then you realize how soupy it all is. And then this is why I uh, lean on synchronicity, where that seems like a larger player to me than the idea that there's an actor acting the organization because there's so many different interests and different players within the organization that are trying to move it along that it it just is synchronicity that actually is you know a force that's easier to understand than to say um, clearly someone is manipulating the New York Times. Well, I just want, I want to say, I think, I think it's both, okay? I'm not in the camp of that it. it's not synchronicity. I think it's, it's definitely synchronicity. And, and on these lines, I just want to throw out here, I, I actually wanted to talk tonight, uh, or I didn't really sit, plan this, but the last few days, I've, I've jumped back into the James Shelby Downard, uh, Adam Gorightly, um, Carrie Thornley, just that whole kind of basket of phenomenon. And I read the, the James Shelby Downard, Michael Hoffman essay, on the Kennedy assassination, which I think is a really powerful essay, um, and it and it goes into all of these synchronicities that clearly couldn't have been planned, right? The Kennedy and Johnson Mountains near Ruby Road in Southern Arizona, you know, right on, you know. But I don't think I mean, you know, we all probably agree that there was a conspiracy to kill Kennedy, right? And so, and there was actors with an agenda. Um, and so I think both, it's a great example of how both can be present in a very, very strong way. And I, I don't, I imagine, I think we're probably dealing with both here, you know. Um, and I lost track of the question you had asked, Alan. Um, you had asked well, something. yeah, I, I want to jump in here and say, and throw my, my, my reasoning into this, which is to say, it seems to me like, if anything, what this does sort of prove prove, quote unquote, is, as you say, nothing is mutually exclusive. So is there synchronicity? Absolutely. Is there an agenda for Bill Gates to seize more power? Undoubtedly, like that's you, you don't you don't jump up and say, I'll make the decisions for the planet now unless you think. Well, so that's the interesting question for me, Alan, is that when you think about what motivates people mm -hmm. and so you can tell clearly when someone is motivated by power like this is what they're seeking and so like with that in mind i think of someone like trump or mitch mcconnell where yeah, so can I, their if, actions if, are totally if, if, go ahead hey you think i can i if you don't mind i just i want because I, I actually what i was going to say is i was i said it was not mutually exclusive 
I want to address is that what I think, what I think, what I'm seeing here is a fractured game that there is not, it's not, so, okay, if we just want to say, oh, entertain all this information, and literally would go to the question of who benefits. Well, clearly, in one version of this narrative, a globalized, the, the globalists, which I don't mean, like, I don't know, I, I hope I, we can use, this is like just a, a normal word, it shouldn't be a loaded word, literally just like globalists, those with that philosophy of a global perspective, have one for lack of a term, a gen, what, do you, what do you call that in a corporate, like a, you know, like a um, mission statement? So, you know, you don't like the word agenda. Their mission statement is to have a global governance and one set of policies for uh, for, for how they're going to run things. And then you have but Trump where... and crew. Whoa, hey, hey, hey. So I'm doing get. I'm just going to, please. Uh, um, so Trump and crew are nationalists who want to have control of the United States. And they're working, the, the billionaires that, uh, that he, and the, just these crony capitalists that, and all, all, all the people who have been manipulating the situation so that they have power here in America are now saying, hey, you can't come in. I don't want you to have, you globalist powers, to have control over my decisions because I want to be the tyrant of my own fucking people. So it's the multi. So who benefits from faking these numbers in the in the opposite way of like, oh, just let our people die, don't report it, and we can just kind of get things back going again? Who benefits from that? All the fucking corporations, Amazon.com. I think Amazon.com, Jeff Bezos, is a huge player in this situation. Maybe we can get to that later, but I think that is a really big. It's it's too fucking quiet. Um. A- anyway, there is a nationalist power struggle happening with Trump and crew and a globalist power struggle happening with that maybe we could just identify with this Bill Gates but I, I regardless again this is um Bill Gates being the power uh, a billionaire with a tremendous amount of power and Bezos being another billionaire with a tremendous amount of power we maybe can assume that they have different um objectives or different uh strategies of how they end up on top and we're sort of caught in the middle and i I just want to say basically what i this idea of like hey is it this or this is like what if it's like um there's like seven games being played at once basically a power that this was so chaotic and what happens throughout history when there is a vacuum of power when there is a chaotic event everyone jumps in to grab as much power and make their move hey this is my my fucking opportunity. I'm going to go for it. And we see that, I think, even if it was on a small scale, like, hey, I'm going to sell off these stocks or I'm going to, you know, or buy up stocks at pennies on the dollar or all these sorts of things. Everybody made some sort of maneuver in the situation to grab what they can. And some people have more ability to grab more power. And I, I just want to say, from my perspective, it is multiple. There are multiple multiple people who would potentially benefit from each of these different things being the truth. If we're trying to figure out which is true, it's like, well, if it's the numbers lean this way, that benefits these guys. If the numbers lean this way, that benefits these guys. If this agenda or this narrative, et cetera. So maybe now you could, uh, I, I'll hand this 
the microphone back over to you, but I wanted to emphasize I'm not, uh, you know, again, this is not a defense of Trump. It's saying he is, he wants to be the tyrant here. He doesn't want Gates to be the tyrant here. With Gates, it's hard to think about his motivations, I guess, because you could interpret it on one level that he is trying to do what he thinks is best for the world, where he's not necessarily seeking power, but then, you know, by the nature of just how he exploited the system and Microsoft to create his wealth, you know, there is that that's the interesting thing about capitalism where don't ask me how I got my money, but now I'm going to save everyone with my billions, you know? So I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's where I was going with the, the Trump McConnell thing where like it's when the people visibly want power, it's, it's great because you can see, you know, this is what they want, but with, with your Musk or your Bezos or your Bill Gates, it's it becomes a little more convoluted to me. I mean, it, maybe it's more of an ego thing where you know they want to be a player in the game. But I don't know. I mean, once you start into globalists versus nationalists, I I think it's just when you're in like a an organizational meeting and you realize how soupy it is and how things are happening not out of intention but just out of sheer like uh you know you're putting the tracks together moments before the train gets there it's like uh there's no one running this fucking machine it's just going you know this is <laughs> that's why i keep going to synchronicity it's just pure synchronicity you know we might as well be in a cave while praying to keep the world on the on the on the rails the, you know, the thousand storytellers making it all go kind of thing. So uh, I just wanted to add uh, something. If if there, there wasn't so much debates about vaccines, you know, and if it was not something that you can earn money with, nobody would uh, dare saying uh, uh, Bill Gates uh, is making something uh, only for himself, we would say uh, it's 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 good that he used uh, his big money to 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 find a cure the the, the faster than uh, anybody could because the, the 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 other people don't have as much uh, uh, money, you know, to do it, you know. But uh, there's this whole situation uh, with the the vax and anti-vax, you know. So that's what's um, making him maybe guilty, you know, or are making uh, the doubts possible on uh, what are his int intention, you know? Yeah, and just to jump in, I mean, this is the question you would ask Guillaume about what is what is the agenda, and you said, is it only the vax? This is, and I, what's come up in the chat here, to me, is a essential feature of what's happening, okay? Because, um, and I'm gonna. This this will cover a few things, but the journalist Whitney Webb, she's kind of taken off, uh, especially in the last two weeks. She's a really amazing investigative journalist. Uh, she did a bunch of work on Epstein. She went on a deep dive on Epstein and the national security state, and and really the international networks of intelligence agencies that were running child sex operations. I mean, it's amazing journalism. She's now come 
to the um, forefront because she's been doing deep dives. There's a nexus here between Epstein and between the motives for why the COVID-19 agenda is being pushed so hard. And it's the national security state. It's what you guys were talking about earlier with Amazon. But just in the last year, there has been um, not only Event 201 that was that was that was basically, you know, uh, running this drill, <laughs> but there was there's been a few other drills of ba of how to handle a pandemic. And the thing about these drills, they're they're, and this goes to Doug's question. I mean, I don't think it's completely total chaos, or let's assume it's not. Like, how would it not be total chaos when you have 7 billion people? And the way you do it is the classic thing of compartmentalization. So you have experts in positions of power meeting together over the course of a week or two to plan how they will handle things that then are hypothetically going to happen, hypothetical in quotes. So, to, so, the, so, so but Whitney Webb is uncovered through FOIA documents where you have Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Alphabet, Jeff Bezos, the former head of InQtel, the current head of InQtel, all of the national security, spook state, corporate, military, industrial players meeting. And this was a year ago. They were planning. They said this, China's way ahead in AI. And it's all about money and profit, just like you guys were saying in the chat here. Because China has their... Uh, citizens, and I've lived there, I know, attached to an AI device that tracks everything they do. And so you have a data surplus in China that they can be fed into the AI machines and make those AIs even better. Because of the American system, we don't like that. Even Germany, they're, they're big on cash in Europe. And in this document, they call them legacy systems. And what they mean by that is the idea that you can have privacy. That's a legacy system, something that they were planning before COVID-19 to remove. They said, how are we going to remove from the American culture these legacy systems that prevent our AI machines from getting all the data we need to compete with China? And they said that unless they do that, China will lead and make all the money. And so they have to figure out a way to get the data, basically the track and trace system that they're now developing because of COVID, um, into the American consciousness and into widespread use in America. And so I think that's a huge part of this. Like, set aside Can numbers, I throw what challenging... Cha oh, go, just ahead. A quick go ahead, question mark on that. Yeah, so ahead. Yeah, I did see that a lot of the, like, um, security drones that were purchased um, by different states uh, around the globe, these are Chinese-manufactured surveillance situations. So it's... Basically, that's still China upping their their surveillance game. If if what you were saying was accurate, do you think we would be seeing more? For example, Amazon created spy drones. You know what I mean? Like, um, I just want I just curious how you how you sort of rectify that. Yeah, it's a great point. And there's, I mean, I think there's two short answers. One is that a lot of the, they say like Tencent, which is the big Chinese company that runs WeChat, and then Alibaba is the other big company where everything is done with these two apps in China. A lot of people say that those apps were built in conjunction with Silicon Valley. So that's one answer is that at a meta level, these people are really working together and it's sort of the implementation, a global rollout, right, of this system. Now, the other side, if you want to go the other way, and that would be similar to like the work of Anthony Sutton, who wrote about the Cold War and how the USSR was working with American business from the 40s during the war, 
50s and 60s, there was basically a lot of sharing of, of industry. But then the other side of that is that you actually do see, like if you go to China, you can't access Google and Facebook. And so I think at some level, they're actually hiding the data from each other because they're competing at, at some other part of this system, right? Like they don't want you to, to use, the Chinese government won't let Google come into China because not only would you let the Western mentality filter into the Chinese mindset and you could get the porn and you can get, you know, pictures of Tiananmen Square, et cetera, but also you have that data. The data is the new gold, they say. So whoever has the data has the gold because then the AIs can basically run. So I don't think there's a clear direct answer to that, Alan, but I think there's both competition and working together. Um, but but I think it's clear, even if at higher levels are working together, like Amazon wants to know everything you buy, every moment of the day, everywhere you go, that's going to help them make more profit. And especially if they shut down small business and then make everything run through a phone where you pay on your phone, just like in China, you have to order from Amazon. Like I think that's pretty non-controversial that this is a profit push by big Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah. When it was like the first weekend of coronavirus and the first thing that's announced on fucking Forbes.com is like, hey, maybe we'll have a new digital currency. I'm like, whoa, where the fuck did that come from? Uh, you know, that's that speaks right to that. Guillaume, what is this article you posted here? You said um, each country in Europe is developing its own app. Are you saying to, to protect privacies? Uh, no, 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 no. It's it's uh, I, I don't know, but it's it's. It's it's uh, like SG was saying they are they are in competition in a way too to to get their 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 data yeah not to share it uh, with uh, other countries you know uh, understood okay and SJ you're saying Germany though is not developing their own yeah they came at first they said okay well we're gonna keep this safe we it's privacy privacy and then they just came out and said all right Apple Google you can take us I mean we know. <laughs> You know, Apple, oh. Google, all right, we're yours. We're going to work with you now, Apple, Google. So I think there is, oh, okay. yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with Guillaume, but I do think that there is, I mean, some countries, this is a big issue, protecting your data, work with Apple, Google, which is basically the American NSA, the Western intelligence agencies is what I call it. And it, and I want, as Joe is here, because a lot of this stuff, they talk about the Israeli Silicon Valley and the security state. Uh, and the Israeli security state connected with the Western security state in Silicon Valley, and even with Epstein, like Leslie Wexner, and this, I mean, I don't know if you even want to sit, talk about that, Joe, but this has come up a lot in what I've read as well, that there's kind of these Western security apparatus, which includes Israel, and they're apparently a big player in a lot of this. Yeah, I couldn't really give you any details, but... Uh... I would guess that that is the case. I think everyone here has the sentiment that they're kind of tied up, connected at the hip. With uh, I don't America. know any details. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 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 But just, so the, just back to the main point, Alan, here. I mean, I think that that would be the motive and the narrative. And I don't really think you need one guy, one agent saying, this is my agenda. I mean, you can have multiple age agendas, but basically there's this money kind of works together for its own benefit. And I think that, I mean, you know, um, I think there's some collusion at these higher levels with billionaires. I mean, it's a small billionaires club, really. Um, so anyhow, just, just to, 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 to answer that question, it's not just about vaccine. I think it's also about this kind of surveillance technology 
that will be hugely profitable if allowed to kind of fully flex its potential. Doug, do you have anything you want to sort of counter or, or steer this in any way that you did that answer where you were sort of thinking or? No, no, I don't know. I mean, so like that's the, when I listened to both Joe and SJ, they're clearly really educated and have these really cogent arguments. Um, but it always makes me feel so disempowered because you're talking about monumental forces that are beyond the scope of uh, our reach. So like, it feels like maybe you feel empowered because you know about the forces on some level that somehow knowing is the power that our lives are shaped by forces that are so much larger than we could even comprehend that whenever I hear this talk, it just feels so disempowering that, um, that, you know, it's almost like godlike powers that we're subject to. Maybe Joe, anybody want to jump in of how, how do you stay empowered in a situation like this? Well, I see this as not really any different than any other situation in life. You can, you know, choose to lift yourself up on an individual level when things are really, really bad, just like you can when things are really, really good. And I think it's actually a big opportunity because it takes on such a political narrative when we discuss it publicly. And anytime you want to talk about personal power, you want to talk about divorcing yourself from, you know, the political sphere and not gauging whether or not you have personal agency or personal power on what's happening politically. Um, you know, especially in the modern West. And, you know, I can just say, you know, un unapologetically that in the modern West, I mean, there's just no excuse on anybody's, uh, in anybody's situation to feel like they're disempowered um, by whatever political thing is going on. Um, and that's just the way that I choose to see things. So if you're going to talk about like, how do you, how do you find your personal power in a time like this? You know, I try to stick to those fundamentals, which is, uh, there's just too, too many opportunities to assert yourself, to get done what you need to get done, to have the right attitude, the right perspective. And as cliche as that might sound, it still applies right now as it, as it, as it always does. No, it's, it's, it's not cliche. It's, you know, uh, in the thing we did two weeks ago, the April 11th ritual, I keep coming back to your contribution, Joe, because there was a real focus on that aspect of it. And I think that's so just so got important of like, hey, what happens when I take responsibility for my life, my direction, my energy, and not just my reasoning of, and figuring out a conspiracy or any of these sorts of things, but like, then also the heart, like the strength that that requires to do so. Um, I don't know, it's a really powerful contribution. I really appreciate it. And I'm just curious, um, how, you know, are you, are you finding yourself able to stay in that space? Sure. Well, um, since you brought it up, my contribution was actually a, just 
word for word an auto suggestion track that I say to myself pretty periodically and in difficult times I do it daily and I've got dozens and dozens of my albums of them and that was just one that I thought was most relevant to what we were doing because it was about healing and for me like personal power always comes down to the words that you speak you know because you know the thoughts you think are downstream and you have 100% control over the words you say so I think that in these times when we're so plugged into a universal narrative that is negative and bleak and and in large part concerning who do we have to give our power over to, I think that's when it's most important to guard your words and guard the things that you're saying to yourself. So, you know, that, I mean, that's what that was about. If you connected with it, then, you know, I'm happy. But um, back to, you know, Doug's point. Like to me, to stay empowered is all about controlling your words, controlling your thoughts. 